Hey everyone, welcome to the Christ and Coffee podcast. I'm Jeremy, this is Haig, and we are doing and continuing our crash course through the Bible. So we've been through several books already, and today we're going to discuss uh, the book that may be quite unfamiliar to many, although there's some pretty famous stories in it, the book of 1 Samuel. We're going to split it up in two because there are two books, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. They belong in one sort of single narrative, uh, one story, but they are split up in two because in the old days, they didn't have enough paper to write on one. So they spilled over into another scroll and that's why we have two. But uh, Haig, why do we call First Samuel or the book of Samuel, Samuel? Who is Samuel? So Sam or Samuel is the first um, prophet with a capital P of Israel, of the Israelites. And he's also the like last judge he's this pivotal transitionary figure of transitioning is the israelites from this tribal clannish society to one in which they are united behind the king Mm -hmm. and the way he does that is he's a leader but also most importantly he's someone who's able to hear from god and communicate what god wants for the israelites so the book is named after him because he has this very critical role um, and as we are going through the Hebrew scriptures, usually the first letter or the, the first part of the Bible um, verse you read is usually the name given. And the story starts with his mom, um, unable to have kids. Uh, and uh, he's prays, she prays to God, uh, give me a child. And she's by, the, by, by the, the place of worship. And there's an interesting line, like she looks like she gets filled with the spirit. Uh, the, the head pr- priest at the time was a guy named Eli. She think he thinks she's drunk, um, and that she's causing trouble, like in front of the, the the church. But she's actually filled with the spirit, and God's answering her prayer uh, to have a child, and she dedicates that child. Uh, she'll have other children afterwards, but she dedicates um, Samuel to uh, serve the, the in the temple and in the places of worship. And then he rises to the ranks and becomes the leader of uh, in the in the whole and the religious leader of the community. So that's uh, why. It's called First Samuel. It starts off with the, his birth story, and he plays a critical role of being kind of like the 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 Obi Wan Kenobi figure, the the sage, the guide who's who's leading the the protagonists uh, through the narrative. And it starts with um, Saul, who you think, all right, this is a cool dude, but you hear about his rise and fall, and then shortly afterwards. David picks up and, and Samuel is there to guide David. So he plays this really like Yoda-esque guide figure. Um, every good story has one of these figures that, that kind of nudges the hero in the direction of, of becoming themselves. So super important, but pivotal because he's the last judge, the first capital P prophet, and um, uh, the one who, who ushers in the transition to a kingdom. Yeah. Yeah, he's uh, he's an interesting character. Uh, he's like you said, Yoda figure, Obi Wan figure. He's like the king maker or the king breaker. Um, and the story begins with his mom, Hannah, like you said. And what's really interesting is if you read very carefully. Um, well, let's say this just for our listeners: anytime you read a book in the Bible, the first couple of chapters are laying down the themes for the rest of the book. So when you're reading any biblical book, the first couple of chapters are going to highlight like 
phrases, words, um, stories that are meaningful for the way the rest of the book is going to develop. So Hannah's whole story is indicative of the book of First and Second Samuel because she is humiliated, she's lowly, she's um, humbled, and God gives her um, Samuel, who becomes this pivotal heroic character for Israel. And so she even sings a song in her prayer about how God humbles the proud and and lifts up those who are humbled. And that becomes kind of the theme of the whole book. And what's really interesting is if you go to the uh, Gospel of Luke, the opening stories in the Gospel of Luke, uh, Mary's Magnificat uh, echoes a lot of Hannah's prayer, Hannah's song of praise to God, so that uh, what God is doing through Jesus is a new thing and is sort of, again, telegraphing that news that God humbles the proud and brings up those who are humbled uh, into honor and, and dignity. So, um, so yeah, that, the, the whole book of First Samuel begins with uh, that arc, that sort of trajectory of those who are humiliated and lowly will be lifted up and vice versa for those who are proud and haughty. Yeah, and that exact phrase, God exalts the humble and humbles the proud, um yeah like that's repeated in the epistles too it's like whenever like a verse is repeated pay yeah. close attention and th this captures the narrative of what that looks like mm. starting with her having a kid who when she can't have a kid yeah yeah and, th and then the rise of saul saul has humble origins at first too mm -hmm. but then he, yeah, gets he hides in the suitcases he doesn't want to be king he's terrified of it but then he gets arrogant and proud, disobedient mm -hmm. over time. He falls. And then David, King David, the shepherd boy, um, he gets, he's a prime example of what that looks like. He, he really is the, 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 that, that example being fully realized, the, the humble shepherd who's the youngest brother, the one who's not even thought of by his dad to be presented when King Saul's looking, I mean, Samuel's looking for the next king. Yeah. Uh, he's the humble boy who, goes and slays the giant um, yeah. and is going to be the the one in which the uh, covenant God gives to the eternal kingdom um, mm -hmm. is going to be established. So David is such a key, key figure here. Um, and this is kind of the backstory of how he, he's, he almost rises to power. I think yeah. that's really, he's the hero of the book. Um, yeah. I think, I think David would probably be a better name for this <laughs> if I would have to pick one, but, yeah, but, yeah, but yeah. the, 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 the glory is given to Samuel and rightfully so, because he's one of the few people in the Bible who doesn't seem to have too much of a character flaw. Yeah. Yeah. What's interesting is that David, uh, becomes kind of the, not just the main character of Samuel, but he come, becomes kind of like the baseline hero for the rest of the Bible until yeah. Jesus. And David is Jesus's great, 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 whatever you want, however far you want to go, grandfather. Um, and anytime David is referenced in the rest of the Bible, in the Psalms or in the prophets or in, you know, in the New Testament, it's a reference to uh, God's divine pick for king. Right? Yeah. God's God's ruling earth as it should be in heaven through a, a, an individual, a human person, a human one. And so, um, yeah, David becomes the prototype for this, this kind of divine human king that Jesus will eventually step into because David is picked as the one who will rule 
uh, creation or Israel and by Israel, the rest of creation, the rest of earth um, through him, blessing will come kind of like picking up on the Abraham uh, promise in Genesis. So, yeah, so he becomes a real important figure through the rest of the Bible. And yeah, I guess just to give a sense of the structure of the book, it begins with those those stories of uh, Hannah and the, the birth of Samuel and the sort of close of this old order, this old way that was kind of corrupted and not working for Israel anymore. And then it opens up to Samuel as the main figure, then transitioning over into the people wanting a king, and then Samuel eventually making Saul king, and then sort of receding to the background. Then when Saul gets out of hand, Samuel comes to the forefront again and Saul. And then that's when God uses Samuel to find David. Um, and the book of First Samuel ends with Saul's uh, long, tragic decline to the point where at the end of First Samuel, um, Saul is dead and uh, David is alive and he'll eventually become the one who's king in Second Samuel. Um, but then all throughout first Samuel, there's this long, which I think is really interesting writing. There's this long timeline where Saul is de facto king, but David is on the run, like in the wilderness, hiding in caves with like warlords and strange, like shady characters. Um, and he's actually the king. So there's this weird, like what humans have devised is seemingly, um, you know, reality but then under the radar there's this subversive subversive uh thing that god is doing with david that will eventually upend uh saul as king so i think that's an interesting way to read first samuel in general like yes samuel's important david's important um saul is important but all of that only matters within the context of god's covenant and god selecting um those who are fit for leadership to be in leadership yeah, it's fascinating that David is anointed. Um, and at the moment of him being anointed, it comes right after Saul is rejected by God. So like, the spirit of God's anointing leaves Saul and goes to David. And even though he doesn't have the worldly title, he functions in the role of that title, because right after that, he becomes famous and becomes a general through the famous story that we often neglect when we're older is the story of David and Goliath. Um, mm. And uh, I remember when I was like 16 years old, I was reading the Bible after my conversion and I, I grew up in the church, but like, I remember reading it and it was like, Oh, David decapitates Goliath. This is actually really <laughs> gruesome. And this yeah. is setting him up to be like the, the main military general for the, the Israelites. So like, yeah. But but he right before that fight, he gets anointed by by Samuel. So like he, King Saul should have been being the representative, should have been the one fighting. But but David arrives on the scene and is like, of course I'm gonna win because I'm God's anointed. I, I have God behind me. If God is for me, who could be against me? Mm. And uh, there's a great book by Malcolm Gladwell about David and Goliath. It's oh, a yeah. book about underdogs good. and how. Yeah. If you look at the data of underdog stories, they're not really underdog. On the surface, they might be underdogs. Uh, but if you look deeper into the story, they're not underdogs. And in the book, he talks about how he comes to the, the fight with Goliath, like coming with a gun. <laughs> uh, and it's like that scene from Indiana Jones where like the, the guy is like doing all this sword uh, swingling and, sh and fighting and he just, Indiana Jones takes out the gun and just shoots him. Yeah, yeah. Like that's the story of David and Goliath. But we read this or we teach this as like, 
the great underdog story of David, mm -hmm. who's fighting a giant and he's this lowly shepherd boy. But forget the sling I aspect, like the fact that God is anointed and chosen him before he goes into the fight, like that should be enough to read the, from a, uh, the perspective of the, the biblical audience. God is with him. He's going to win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no underdog here. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. And again, it plays into that theme of the humble and the humiliated. Like he's just a shepherd boy. He's <laughs> although, uh, you know, in the Old Testament and in the ancient Near East context, anytime you hear about a shepherd, shepherds are always associated with kings. So like, it's no mistake that like, you know, oh, here's David shepherd. Oh, perfect. He's a king. Like he's just the kind of guy that you'd want to be a king. Um, but yeah, it, it lands in that sort of he's unassuming, he's unexpected. So in some senses, yeah, he should be considered the underdog, but yeah, God selected him, he picked him and he's made him king and anointed him. So sure, he's gonna win, right? Like it just makes sense. Um, another thing, the book of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, but um, maybe more particularly in 1 Samuel, another thing that 1 Samuel is, is doing is it's playing with the ideas of power and how power is consolidated and maintained in God's sort of vision. And so uh, early on with with uh, the Hannah story, there's a sub story between Eli, the priest and his two sons. Um, his two sons are like really nasty guys, and they've just sort of uh, corrupted the system and exploited people and they've had power and they're exploiting others with that power. Um, yeah, Eli is kind of judged at the end of that um for his sons his sons are also judged um but what happens is eli and samuel come to this place where they um sort of hand the power over to one another so sort of like they hear one another and then samuel continues the trajectory moving forward um throughout the rest of the story saul is the one who has power um after samuel anoints him and Saul becomes a tragic story of having all the power, but not doing with it what God has wanted him to do. And it becomes self-destructive. So there's an interesting subnote throughout the book. If you are a listener today and you're going to be reading for Samuel, I, I kind of invite you when you read through the book to highlight whenever the spear is mentioned in first Samuel, because uh, Saul always ends up being the one with the spear and the spear becomes representative of his power and he throws the spear at David. He holds the spear when he makes judgments. He has a spear when he's hunting people down in war. And then at the end of 1 Samuel, as he's surrounded by his enemies, the only thing he can do with the spear is throw himself on it and, and kill himself. And so this becomes kind of the, the lesson or the moral of 1 Samuel is he had all this power and he had nothing to do with it other than to destroy himself because he didn't use it the way God had invited him to use it. So it's kind of a message and remembering that power is only as good as uh, as it is used for the lifting up of others and participating in what God is doing uh, in the community and for the world. And that becomes something that Paul picks up on when he says, you have all these spiritual gifts, and if you don't use them for one another, what good is it? Like God gives you power, yes, but the power is used for the healing and the upbuilding of the community, not for self-glory or showing off. Yeah, that reminds me of a great quote by Abraham Lincoln. He says, uh, to test the man's character, give him power. Yes, yes. Something along That's those it. lines. That's it. That's but, it. And for Saul, his character is, shows up as a flaw. Um, and all the warts and things pop out. And 
David as well. I mean, David doesn't get a, you know, David does well early on, but there's a few mistakes he makes throughout and uh, it ends up. We'll, we'll, we'll get that in second Samuel. Right we'll now he's riding, second. writing the, the hierarchy yeah. of, of his narrative. Um, That's another way to read. Yeah. First and second Samuel. First Samuel is David as hero. Second Samuel is David kind of in his glory days and slowly declining <laughs> by the yeah. end of second Samuel. He's, you know, he's not the great hero that he was at the beginning. Right, right. But I think that's huge because just looking at the faults of Saul and the power uh, corrupting him, the pride corrupting him, um, it's more than just him disobeying God on a few things, uh, which which where God rejects him. It's also like what continues afterwards. Mm. Like he's jealous of David. Um, he He's not excited that the person that his son is best friends with and his daughter is married to who's like the obvious choice for, for his successor. Mm. Um, instead of being happy that, look, we have a solid leader to take my place once I'm dead, mm. he gets jealous of him. You know, like that jealousy, that insecurity is so toxic. Um, and you see it manifest here where he's concerned uh, for David being a political threat and mm. he wants him out. And yes. um he becomes so concerned that his own son becomes a threat because his son, Jonathan, uh, develops a really deep friendship with David to the point where they're very, very close. And and that Saul is concerned with his son, Jonathan, having that kind of proximity to David to the point where he threatens his son even. Yeah. Um, so it is the, the power kind of um, actually literally makes him go crazy. I mean, there's moments where he's insane, um, where he has like mental breakdowns because he's so obsessed with it and i don't know this but I, sometimes i read like some of the shakespeare plays um and i just really wonder if they were very closely if shakespeare was very closely listening to some of these biblical narratives <laughs> like especially first and second samuel like when it comes to like macbeth and henry the eighth and all these great shakespearean plays of you know power and the corruption of human beings when they hold that heavy you know what is that line from is it henry the eighth heavy is the one uh, heavy is the weight of the one who wears the crown or something like that and um so yeah i just uh i, I think there's a lot uh to learn from first samuel if we read the texts and the narratives very carefully yeah um, and then the, and like the cool thing about the contrast between sam uh saul and david is like when david is in exile he really is getting the proper character formation that's right he's 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 not concerned with titles he's concerned with just surviving he has opportunities to eliminate Saul but he refuses he shows mercy that's right um, these are character traits of a king uh, in the in, in the true sense uh, one who shows mercy one who has character doesn't repay evil for evil one who's not jealous one who's secure one who's completely reliant on on God and you get like the backstory of this is where you get a lot of the Psalms when David's out in the wilderness crying out to God, where are, where are you? I'm going to trust you. Um, people are literally, I'm literally surrounded by my enemies, but I'm, I'm going to be trusting you. I'm not going to fear. Um, David becomes this warrior poet uh, yeah. throughout this process. It's this, this is journey of becoming a king, uh, even yeah. though he's called to be one, but there, there's this gruesome steady development of, of refining fire in his growth in first Samuel. Yeah, yeah. It's funny to me, like, especially if you're if you're in a church tradition that follows the lectionary, um, when you are forced to read some of those psalms in, in liturgy and worship, 
uh, it's kind of funny to me sometimes to think like these Psalms don't make any sense to us as Westerners, <laughs> like as people who don't like, when have you ever like had your life threatened by another individual because of your fidelity to, to Yahweh or your fidelity to Jesus? Like it just, so sometimes we read these Psalms and it's like, are you actually living like <laughs> how David lived? Like he's in the wilderness eating like whatever he can find scraps and stuff. And people are like, like hunting him down. And that kind of framework or that kind of mindset is not something we experience very often. Um, it, it is helpful to plug those Psalms back into David's life story. Yeah. And they tell you when they're written by David, <laughs> like this is a Psalm of David, not every Psalm is David. Yeah. And I think that's why they tell you to like yeah. plug it into the story and remember like, this is a, <laughs> this was a really crappy time for David. Like, let's reflect on how he got through it. Yeah. Um, through the arts <laughs> yeah, and through yeah. prayer and through honesty to God. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I think we have to talk about in First Samuel is this uh, is the very idea of kingship in Israel. Right. Um, you know, there's a long uh, sermon that Samuel gives. Basically, it's a monologue where he just rips on Israel for wanting a king. Um, you know, First Samuel is kind of the transition, like you said, from the tribal communities of like family groups to now a formal united monarchy under one king. And the reason they want that from the get-go is because they see the other nations and they think we want to be like them. So that reasoning, that logic behind kingship is uh, definitely not sitting well with Samuel and not sitting well with Yahweh because the point of Israel coming out of empire was to be an alternative to empire. And now they're saying, well, that's what we want to be. We want to be like the other nations. We want to be an empire like them. Yeah, I hate, like that similar theme is happening, like whenever I travel with like people adopting American customs, like with the music, with mm -hmm, the foods, mm -hmm. with the movies. I mean, movies I get because there's not that many big movie productions, but um, but yeah, it's like disturbing. It's like, yeah, this is like the globalization of our world. Can mm. you keep some of your, your unique good things in your culture? I don't want like American culture to assimilate this or or you guys prioritize this but right now it's like we're in the power so yeah keep, and then we have hollywood and the music industry to help populate our ideas and some some of the things that we're um sharing globally are not the best things to share right uh, right well it's very interesting that it makes you wonder so i mean the whole thing is that eventually god concedes right yeah. And he says, okay, I'm going to give you guys a king. And Samuel gives them like the worst pep talk. He's like, you know, the king's going to take um, everything. <laughs> like the word take shows up like a thousand times in that little sermon. He's going to take this, take that, take this, take that. And it's not going to go great for you. So on one level, God is like, all right, I'm going to give you this thing. And it's going to be not a great idea for you guys. You're going to have a king and it's going to be brutal for you. On the other hand, he redeems the idea of kingship by having David and eventually casting Jesus in the role of David um, centuries later um, or thousands of years later. So it's an interesting kind of, uh, it's an interesting thought project to, to see how God redeemed something that was not of, of the 
ideal for his people. Like they made the decision to go this direction. It meant suffering for them. It meant eventual exile for them. But God still redeemed it in the strange kingship of his son uh, on a crucified Roman cross. So it's like, it just almost seems to be this theme that starts to be woven into scripture that like whatever humanity throws into the mix as being like terrible, God finds a way to redeem it and give it life and make it new, which goes right back to Genesis one, where he's, he's bringing order out of the chaos and bringing life into what is sort of broken and, and, and dead. Yeah, absolutely. So that's first Samuel. It's this, uh, the, the 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 theme of king becomes so foundational after this um and it becomes a baseline for the rest of the bible yeah and it's it's this understanding of what does that word messiah mean anointed mean mm -hmm. uh, that title of king mean to god mm. and then you completely see how god really mean like what god means by that when you see christ being this counterintuitive king right even king david being anointed you see it when he doesn't have the title or the power he's acting yeah. like it um well i think it also and it also invites us to ask the questions for our churches and our communities like how have we folded in our ideas of what is a church or our idea of what is what christian faith or our idea of this 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 and this and god has this alternative way that we're being invited into how do we meld those two together how do we listen to what god is calling us to um, and counter the formats or the templates we've been given of church or community um, ideas of what is, um, you know, good and glorious. Yeah. Um, how do we how do we hold those things and listen to God at the same time and have a sort of counterintuitive, countercultural way of thinking about life with God in the world? Absolutely. All right, everyone. Thank you for watching this episode of Christ and Coffee. The next one, guess what's going to be? It's going to be Second Samuel. Yeah, no surprise. Uh, <laughs> Second Samuel uh, will be the next one in the series on Crash Course Through Scripture. Uh, for those who got to the end of this podcast, we are super grateful. And uh, we hope you were encouraged to pick up the word yourself and read it. Look for these themes. Look for these motifs. Look for these character arcs. Um, look to what it's ultimately pointing to. And uh, yeah, and it will begin Second Samuel with, one of the most important texts in the entire old testament god's promise to to david continuing the, mm -hmm. the the ark of covenant uh that began with abraham and now it's going to david this is these are two crucial uh posts for understanding the the grand narrative of scripture and yes mm -hmm. parts of scripture are more important than other parts of scripture i just said it um so anyway thanks for listening everyone stay caffeinated my friends and stay humble all right Take care.